American Hammers Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Hello and welcome into another edition of American Hammers Radio. This is your host, Tex of the Fresno Irons, joined as always by the one, the only, the beautiful, the suave. If he wasn't Irish, he probably would be Latin. Liam Bright, how are you today? Oh, I'm fantastic. I would like to think that I am Latin by association because my wife has brought out the uh, flamenco side of me. So we'll go with that. We'll go with that. Uh, first off, we got to apologize to all seven of our listeners. Um, it's been a while. Uh, we haven't been able to uh, coordinate lately. Partly my fault. I am, uh, for those of you that don't know, I, I have a uh, job that requires my attention uh, for kids to coach. So therefore, uh, sometimes it makes it kind of tough for me to make time to do this. And I, I do apologize about that. Liam has no excuses. Uh, no, just- no, my, my excuse is that I, I sold my house and it has been a veritable shit storm, uh, of us trying to get everything packed and situated as I will be spending the next several months at my in-laws, uh, while we search for a new house or the house that we want is, uh, built. So yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting here on out. That's for sure. So if Liam is a little testy over the next three or four shows, <laughs> everybody needs needs to understand why um obviously because he's a little bitch <laughs> <laughs> obviously it's been um an incredible run of the cardiac kids of late um since we last talked to you arsenal have a excuse me west ham united have Woo. a uh three three draw versus arsenal uh they took on wolves found a way to hold on and win three two and then again today um, they found a way to hang on against Leicester and win 3-2. So if you're keeping track at home, that's nine goals to <laughs> seven, um, which means we've only gained two in the goal differential situation. And West Ham United have won their last two, and they've got seven in their seven points in their last three. Um, we're going to focus in on this Leicester game. Um all the pundits this week, Liam, everybody, everywhere I looked, is like, well, Leicester's going to win. It's going to be a tough game for West Ham. Well, West Ham come out, and um, at halftime, it's 2-0. Um, <laughs> it, we get an incredible goal from Jesse Lingard, and then obviously a beautiful break, beautiful pass from Jared Bowen. Lingard able to uh, – it's always funny that Lingard's going to get credit for the goal, I understand, but we all know Jared Bowen made that goal happen. Well, honestly, I'd even I'd even trace it back to Diop with the long ball. I mean, literally, like him being able to pick out Bowen, long, root, you know, almost a route one long ball over the top. Bowen latches on at the end of it, and then Bowen, who's typically pretty selfish when it comes to you know opportunities on goal, I was fully expecting him to try to fire you know fire it off at a tight angle. But the the layoff and just the sweetest of tap ins, you could almost see the defense just give up. Like they stopped running back because they're like, yeah, fuck it, Lingard's got it. <laughs> I mean, even before the show in the pregame on uh, on. NBC's Peacock, um, one of the Robbies is saying, well, it's going to be a tough game for West Ham United. You know, I fully expect uh, Lester to come out and play well. Guys, do we do we forget who Lester's manager is? <laughs> he is the ultimate choke artist. I mean, this yep. is Brendan Rodgers, guys. Like, everybody needs to understand, yes, Brendan Rodgers is going to make a team look good for two-thirds of a season, but the last third, they will tank. And it's starting to begin at Lester right now, and West Ham took advantage. Now, they come out in the second half. Jared Bowen gets a beautiful goal. Um, awesome situation there for West Ham. They're now up 3-0. Uh, 
And I think everybody, at least in the pub at Pine and Palm, the moment it went 3-0, we all got a little nervous. And why have we been nervous? Because Arsenal was 3-0, and they pulled it all the way back to 3-3 for the draw. Then Wolves, it was 3-0, and they pulled it back to 3-2, and we're putting the pressure on West Ham late. And now we're up 3-0, and we haven't even hit the 50-minute mark of the game. And West Ham United... It starts and sure as shit. Here's look. Anytime you are linked with West Ham United as a player that we are possibly going to buy, you get, if we don't buy you, you get a customary goal when you play us. Kalichi Iannaccio took two today. Um, he got his first <laughs> one. If you remember, we bought Chicharito over Iannaccio. And so what ends up happening as Iannaccio scores in the 70th minute, and I remember thinking to myself, if we can just get through the 70th minute, I'll feel very confident that West Ham United can hang on and win this game. Well, right on the stroke of 70, they score. And I go, shit. So then I'm, I'm sitting there waiting, and West Ham, they do a pretty good job, but the pressure is on. They are sitting back and absorbing pressure. Um, they are no longer attacking, which I do not agree with that at all. And sure as shit... Right in the ninth, the stroke of the 90th minute, Ian Nacho slots home his second of the day. So now he's on a brace, oh. and we're sitting there, and we have six minutes of extra time to deal with. And Liam, it may have been the longest six minutes in my entire life. Um, if I could last six minutes in the bedroom and it felt like that, I would be happy. <laughs> but in that situation, holy shit, it was not fun for uh, every West Ham United fan in that time. But we found a way to hang on, and we got the three points. But I think now there is a pattern forming, Liam, for West Ham United. And we are not a second-half team. No, not at all. And I, I don't know if it's so much that like the energy levels drop or if it's just other teams have more, I want to say more impact. Uh, when it comes from substitutions off the bench, you know what I mean. When, uh, when like Arsenal nicks the goal back, and it was it was I want to say for the Arsenal comeback, it was Lacazette, but it was it was weird because it was like Bowen gets gets tripped, and they call the they call the foul to Arsenal, which doesn't make sense. Like Bowen's the one that gets dumped to the ground, which he had been dumped to the ground numerous times before that. So it just really didn't make sense that, and they don't actually stop the ball to like actually take the free kick. Lacazette kind of like touches it and then immediately kicks it off. So I don't know if it was like a payback because we did the first or we did like the fast start on the, on the free kick. And that's how Bowen got the goal. I want to say the second one in, in uh, uh, the Arsenal match. And then the other two goals are both mistakes. So it's like, you know, we, with that one, it was, you know, Dawson slams it home for that second goal. And I think that that, that, you know, Watford fans were sitting there going like, oh, oh man, like this is the, this is the Dawson we warned you about. And I was like, no, it was just a difficult attack for him. Just remember in that Arsenal game, Liam, we scored five of the six goals. You know, <laughs> we had true. an own goal for Thomas Uchek, an own goal for Craig Dawson, and then Lacazette got one late. That's true. Okay, that's right. Because the first goal glances off of Suchek, and I think if 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 Lacazette strikes it uninhibited, it goes wide. But because it glances off of Suchek, it arches in and just past Fabianski. So, I think with the Arsenal Arsenal game, that was a little bit of a calamity of errors, and I think it was a long time coming, right? Because uh, Dawson has been he's been phenomenal 
uh, since he's since he stepped in earlier, you know, towards the end of last year, earlier this year. Diop is is always really good for one glorious play and then one really bad boneheaded mistake. Like that's what like Diop is is literally hot and cold when it comes to that. And it's it's why for me he's still not a first uh, first choice defender. I would I would absolutely choose uh, Ogbonna over him, and I'm still. Still kind of thrown that for some reason Balbuena doesn't get the nod over over Diop because I really do think that Balbuena has had a better uh, season so far, at least at like the start when he was playing before he went out with with COVID. Um, you know, with Wolves, I kind of think it was the same thing. I think, you know, we we come out of the gates blazing in the first half and then second half, I think we just take our foot off the gas. And to some degree, I think you could kind of say that about Leicester, but I really think that Leicester figured out what they needed to do, which was kind of the same thing Wolves had done as well with Triori coming down Cresswell's side, because I think they know Cresswell just doesn't have the pace and that it's going to be easier to overrun him on our left-hand side. And with today's game, it was just painfully apparent that we did not have enough energy off the bench to be able to change the nature of the game, especially once Noble went out. Like when Cresswell went out, I was worried. And I really thought they were going to bring on either Fredericks or Johnson to be able to replace him. Uh, But the fact that they replaced when Noble had to go out and they replaced him with Johnson, I felt like that was a kind of a poor substitution. That was probably the only one I disagreed with. Uh, when Cresswell went out and they brought on Balbuena, I was like, no, that's fine. That way we still play with a back five, three center backs, Sufal is a wing back, Masawaku is a wing back. But I, I was surprised when, when you have Connor Coventry on the bench, why not bring him in? He is a holding midfielder. He's a box to box. Like it makes sense for me to bring in a defensive midfielder. And if not him, then you at least let Suchek still sit in a single pivot, and then you bring Fredericks on to help overlap on the wing because that's the speed that's going to help you with the counterattack that we desperately needed in that second half. So for me, that would have been the one change. What about you? What did you kind of see that you think could have made a difference in this last game at least? Uh, I mean, look, when I, when I look at West Ham United and what they did today against Leicester, um, I, I have a little bit of a different theory. First off, we're starting to get riddled with injuries and it's starting to get concerning. You know, we're most likely not going to see Antonio until maybe the last two games of the year. There's outside hope that we're going to get Declan back and it's slim for the Chelsea match. I don't think it'll happen. Um, I've heard stories that it's a three week injury and I've heard stories that he snapped his ACL. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not positive. Although today him sitting in the stands, nothing, no brace on his knee, makes me uh, think that this injury isn't as serious as the rumors are out there. So right now for West Ham United in that match, when it comes to the substitutions, what you're just speaking on, I, I kind of look at it and I don't look, I have shit on Moyes all year long about his substitutions. I think it's been poor. I think as great every manager, no matter whether you win the prim or you get relegated, you got to find places to get better. And if you're David Moyes, the, it's clear your substitution situation um, has to, you have to figure that out. Like, how are you going to do that? And the second thing that West Ham are, it's apparent now is there is something going wrong in the second half. And I, and I know that you hate it when I do this, Liam, but I'm going to start <laughs> pointing the finger at David Moyes. And the reason why is because David Moyes, when he was at Everton, he built the team from the back, just like he's done at West Ham United. He, he shored up the defense. 
and then he built the team from the back. Problem that is happening right now at West Ham is that your best defenders aren't there. Nobody, like, Ogbana is not in there, okay? And he is incredible. Declan Rice, who breaks up a ton of play, is not there, okay? So when you look at the situation, you can't just start soaking up pressure when you don't have your best defenders. Sometimes your best defense is to continue to attack and continue to go get more goals. Um, And, you know, I don't think it's going to leave you dangerously exposed. It didn't in the first half. We had a 2-0 lead when the whistle blew. So I think the mentality shift has to happen, and I'm very disappointed and the mentality change in the second half, it's like, hey, guys, let's let's just maintain. Let's get out of here with three points. Well, the reality of the situation is, Liam, we may need goal differential in order to get into the top four. That is a legit thing that may happen. And right now, West Ham United, if you think about it, they could be plus they could be plus seven more goals in goal differential, which would put us even with Chelsea. I look today, they're at 19 plus, we're at 12. So we would be even with Chelsea had we have figured out a way to maintain our leads and not concede. But unfortunately, we're seven goals back of Chelsea. And um, they have seven goals conceded after 3-0 leads for West Ham United is very concerning. And really, we shouldn't have to have that much of a lead. And Moyes talked about this in the post-game uh, uh, interview today, is that he was saying that it's it's worrisome for him that, you know, here we are, you know, because the, the uh, pundit, you know, the reporter was asking him like, hey, uh, you know, three goals again, like, you know, these three games in a row that, you know, this hasn't happened in such a long time, blah, blah, blah. And he's saying, yeah, but we've also given up so many goals just in these last couple of games. Like, yeah, it's great to score nine goals in three games. I'm taking nothing away from that. That shows an, uh, a, a fluidity to the attack. That shows that whether it's Antonio or Bowen or obviously Jesse Lingard, as you said, what, it was like eight goals in nine games? Like, yeah, that's that's huge. And then, you know, when you really think about it, like Suchek really hasn't been the goal threat that he was earlier in the season. So, you know, kind of his goal production has to some degree been replaced by what Jesse Lingard has been able to do. I mean, really, we haven't had a lot of goals from set play more uh, more recently. All, I want to say all three goals, at least at this game, were all from the run of play. So that's huge. That's huge for us being, being a team that prior to January, we were completely reliant on our, our ability to score from set pieces. We were, we were really not a team that was, that was great scoring from from uh from open play i mean other than the wolves game and the leicester game earlier in the season obviously those were f- runaway games so yeah i think there there is something to be said about being able to defend from the front being able to press that attack but i just i, I think it's cuz we just don't have the bodies that are like to li- like for like that can replace and you know you can have somebody like fornells run ragged for 90 minutes, 90 plus minutes, and you'll be fine. But you do that to someone like Jesse Lingard, you're going to burn him out. You do something like that to Jared Bowen, you're going to burn him out. Like some of these guys just don't have that same engine. Like Suchek can run for 90 minutes and he'll be fine. He might not be super quick, but he will run for the entire 90. Same thing with Sufal. But I think we need people. And like I said earlier, I was really surprised that Fredericks didn't feature off the bench in this game because I really think we could have used that burst of speed. Uh, I mean, he's like the fastest player in the Prem. Like, there's no way that 
logically you don't look at that and say, hey, this is going to help pin back their defense and it's going to open up more space in the middle of the field to allow us to be able to operate. And that way we're not trying to counter starting from our own 18-yard box. And I think that that to me is is what I've noticed in the last three games is that that second half we've, as you I think you've kind of touched on, we've allowed ourselves to sit deeper and deeper and deeper and kind of welcome that pressure on. And unfortunately, we've we've made mistakes and we've allowed that pressure to get to us. So, I mean, let me pose this question to you, Liam, because I think you bring up some very valid points. But I'm going to point the finger at David Moyes. And I'm going to point the finger because this is what got him ran out at Manchester United. You can't sit on leads in the Premier League. You can't. Um, you're Sometimes your best defense is an attacking offense that is controlling the ball. And I think, I, I would disagree with you and say, I think we have the guys to control the ball. I really do. I think that the guys are out there right now that can take the ball and pass it around and do a good job. But I think the problem goes on David Moyes. And look, I'm not shitting on the man. He has revolutionized what West Ham United are, and he's done a great job. But like I said, every great manager is always looking to get better. And what I would challenge him on is that mentality shift in the second half. Whatever you're saying to the team in the team room at halftime, um, I'm really curious what that message is because they come out and it's like they just – when you play not to lose, Liam, why do you lose most of the time? should always be playing to win, and I'm curious what he's saying. So I'm going to ask you this. The first half, we look like Barca fucking Lona, right? <laughs> like, but the second half, we look like, you know, the shit spurs. You know, yep. and the, the problem that I'm running into is that to me is a managerial coaching point. And so that's where I'm blaming it. What do you think is the factor that is the difference between who West Ham is in the first half versus the second half over these last three matches? Yeah, I think to some degree there there is definitely something to be said about maybe paying the other teams too much respect. You know, like we've seen ourselves capitulate to, you know, the supposed top six teams uh, multiple times throughout the season. I mean, obviously we lost by, you know, both times to Liverpool. Uh, we lost and drew to Arsenal. Manchester United, we lost uh, both times. Manchester City, we won and lost. It was one and one for them. No, we drew and lost, right? For Manchester City. So, I mean, obviously, like, you've got to... There, there is to some degree there's a pattern there, right? And it'd be it's odd, it's odd to take that same logic from Arsenal and apply that to like Wolves and Leicester. Because obviously we didn't pay them too much respect in the start of the season. I honest to God, and I, I think yes, there is some blame to be put on Moyes. As always, there's blame to be put on the board, you know, for not giving him more money in the January transfer window to allow him to to spend because they kind of positioned it in a way where it was, well, hey, we'll give you 30 mil. But that's going to come out of your summer transfer budget. And basically, Moyes was like, well, instead of getting somebody that maybe isn't a, a perfect fit, I'd rather save that money and get somebody that is a perfect fit in the summer. And really, I think he was thinking like, hey, I'm going to probably need this money for Lingard because, you know, I'm sure Moyes felt like this was going to be a, a puzzle piece that was going to slot right in. But, I mean, let me just take today's game as an example, right? So the the subs that featured off the bench were obviously Belbuena, Ben Rama, and Johnson, Right. But let's look at the other substitutions that we had. Alves, unproven youth. Connor Coventry, unproven youth. 
Ryan Fed- Fredericks, who, like I said, should have featured. I would have put him in over, honestly, I probably would have put him in over Ben Rama. Uh, David Martin, Nathan Trott, both goalkeepers, and then Arubaku, another unproven youth. So I think we just, like I said before, we just really didn't have the bodies to make an impact. Like if we have full strength squad, right? And you've got Declan Rice and you've got Antonio. Now you've got somebody like Jared Bowen that can come in off the bench. You've got someone like Mark Noble that can come in off the bench. And now these are the guys that can help close out games. But you've got injuries to somebody like Cresswell because they're overexerting themselves trying to defend when you have somebody like Diop who is not as strong a central defender as we typically would need. And in front of him, you've got Arthur Masuaku, who I love King Arthur to death, but he just is not a great defensive presence. He is phenomenal in the attack. I love when he's out, like stretched up as far up the pitch as possible, but when he needs to be pulled back into that really that defensive left wing back position is when we start to see him make mistakes, as he did, uh, I want to say, on the first goal for, for Leicester, where he gave up a bad back pass. Um, you know, I can't think of the guys. What's his name from Leicester that scored today? Kalichi Iannaccio. There you go, Iannaccio. And he literally just turns on a dime, gets around Dawson, and and puts it in the back of the net. So I think there is something to be said about strength of substitutions. And, I'll, you know, for me, squad depth will, will absolutely be our undoing it, uh, next year in Champions League. Like, if we do not find a way to build up this squad, we are going to get decimated right out of the gates. Well, you heard it here first. Liam has already given us Champions League. He doesn't even make a <laughs> prediction. We are in it. So congratulations, West Ham United. Oh, we're going to get in and we're going to get in because we're in third place, not even fourth. So fuck Lester. We're about to, we're about to leapfrog them. I, I, I like that shout, but let, let's think about this. If we're going to make it into champions league, there's a certain player that we have right now that we need to make permanent. And that is our number 11. Um, number one in your hearts, Jesse Lingard and Jesse Lingard. We have <laughs> Messi to Lingard. Yeah, Messi Lingard. I mean, we have to, we have to start acknowledging something here. The Jesse Lingard that West Ham United got, Manchester United have never seen this Jesse Lingard. This is the best version of Jesse Lingard that anybody has ever seen. So let me, I'm going to prove it with some statistics here. Jesse Lingard in nine games with West Ham United, and he's only been a part of our squad for 11 games. When we first got him in, he wasn't ready to play in his first match, and obviously he has to sit out when he plays his parent club, Manchester United. So in the nine games that we've had him, he has scored eight goals and assisted on three. Jesus. Okay. The last time we saw a run like this at West Ham United with this type of goal scoring was Andy Carroll had five goals in an eight game stretch. Okay. No way. And that includes the hat trick he had against Arsenal. That's right. Forgot about that. That's right. So when you look at Jesse Lingard and what he is doing, as great as Dimitri Payet was for West Ham, Lingard has done more. And we yep. have that's what I'm trying to point out. In his best run of form for Manchester United, he had eight goals, which he matched today with his brace, in 33 appearances. Jesus. So it is not even close what we're seeing. The reality of the situation is Jesse Lingard is better in Claret and Blue than he ever was in the red of Manchester United. Yep. And I think Jesse knows it. So I'm going to ask you this question. We are West Ham supporters, Liam. I am a, I am guilty as a prisoner of the moment. 
You have been supporting the club longer. Um, you tend to make wiser decisions than I have been wrong more often. So I'm going to let you answer this first, then I'm going to go in. Do Does West Ham United and David Moyes do whatever it takes to sign Jesse Lingard on a permanent deal? Oh, yeah, hands down. And let's be honest, I'm only wiser because I am so much older than you. I am just positively ancient. You can count the gray beard hairs in my beard, whereas you might have one every blue moon. But let's be honest, man. I mean, it's... Okay, let me put it this way. Like, we spent, what, 45 million pounds on Sebastian Allaire, who we saw in the Bundesliga and were like, oh, I bet you this will translate really well, even though we absolutely don't play a system that suits his, you know, suits his style and what he was playing at uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. <laughs> so, like, that was an unknown quantity that we took a 45 million pound gamble on. This is a known quantity. We know what Jesse Lingard brings to the table because he's already bringing it to the table. So, I mean, when that summer transfer window comes around, because let's let, let, let's take this into consideration. Jesse is 28 years old. He will be 29 towards the end of this year. I want to say it's like a November or December birthday. So, you know, it's tail end of the year. It'll be in, you know, kind of the middle of next season. But he's out of contract next year too. So, you know, you know he's got closing in on 30, one year left on his contract. I could see Manchester United trying to trying to up the price tag a little bit. I want to say earlier rumors were they were going to let him go for like 15 mil, right? I can't imagine that there was no clause at all built into the contract and that they'll suddenly be like, oh, well, we want 40 mil. We want 45, 50 mil and Declan Rice for Jesse Lingard. Because the news reports have already come out that West Ham has has absolutely said there's no no way they try to deal Jesse for Declan, like with any amount of price tag, like they're not going to do that. They're going to keep Declan here and they're going to try to bring Jesse along as well. Jesse in his own best interests is going to want to stay at West Ham because he's going to one, want Champions League football, which he's going to get with West Ham. He's going to want to stay on Gareth Southgate's radar, which obviously in that, those last run of friendlies he was able to feature on and he was able to get a man of the match and a goal, uh, a goal and an assist. So where where in that puzzle would you think Jesse Lingard would go, you know what? No, I'd rather go and sit on the bench for one more year at Manchester United. There's no way. And because of the ability, the camaraderie, the showcase, the goal production that he's had with West Ham, I can't even see him trying to go for another club. He's not going to go to Leicester. He's definitely not going to go to fucking Arsenal. I've seen news reports come out today that Arsenal was going to try to try to go for him. Fuck Arsenal, dude. You guys are sitting down in like 11th place, like 10th place. There's no way that Jesse goes, yeah, let me ditch the team that I already have chemistry with to go for a team that, one, I have no chemistry. I'm not guaranteed a starting position. I have no idea how I'm going to factor into that club. And you're lower down in the table. Makes no, absolutely no sense. So yeah, I think if they've got to shell out 30 million, 35, 40 million, you do it because you already know what he's going to bring to the table. And I can't imagine that this is a flash in the pan and that Jesse just absolutely drops off uh, going into the 21-22 season. But I'm interested to see what the youth has to say. So the youth of America, what do you think on this one? Oh, so do you go all in on Jesse Lingard? Um, you, you, you have a, you don't go all in. Okay, I'm going to say that. You don't go Ooh. all in, but I am going to say this. You definitely set a bar, and the bar is probably pretty high. If we can get Jesse Lingard, like if I'm West Ham United, I'm not paying a, a penny over $35 million for him. I'm not. That's where I draw the line. And the reason why is this. 
if Jesse Lingard was the only thing we needed, then by all means, go all in for him and you do it. But the reality of the situation is West Ham have other holes that are vital for them to fill. I mean, I'm looking at them and I'm thinking there's four guys, there's four positions that they need help with. They need help at left back. Aaron Cresswell, yes, he's had a revelation of a season, but they need to go find somebody at least to challenge him. At least. Yeah. Okay. We probably, now that we have Dawson, Diop, Balbuena, and Ogbana, I think we probably still need to go get a young center back that can that can definitely come. I mean, you can never have enough center back cover. I think they also don't need to go, like the reality of the situation is you got to go get somebody or you got to give Connor Coventry a legit look um, at that center midfield um, holding position, um, that CDM role. Um, you either go with Connor and that, that means you don't have to go buy somebody or you got to go get somebody that can fill in for Rice or Suchek if they go down. Yeah. And then we all know what they need going forward. We need somebody to be a striker. As good as Bowen has been up late, I don't think that this is something that is going to be able to be sustained over a long period of time with Jared Bowen. I don't think Jared Bowen is a natural striker. Yes, he's done some good things for us, but we need somebody that can do it. And so because of those holes, I look at it and I think two of them we can get out on the cheap by buying young, hungry players from the championship that won an opportunity in the prem. But we're going to have to spend some money on a striker. You know, we're going to have to go spend 20, 25 million on a guy that can at least be there behind Michele Antonio. And so because of that, that's why I don't want to go in on Jesse Lingard because here's my point, Liam. If you go pay 40, 45 million for Lingard, and you have no money for anybody else, and Lingard goes down, what was it worth then? True. And so that that's my whole point. Do I want Lingard wearing clear and blue? Fuck yeah, I do. I absolutely want that man wearing our kit, doing the crossed irons in the corner, doing a Michael Jackson dance, playing his fucking piccolo, whatever he wants to do, I'm all in on. But the reality is, I think, remember, I, I love the club, not the player. So I'm in the best interest of the club, it is their best interest to keep Jesse Lingard if they can get him at the price point that does not hurt them from getting everybody else. Now, we've got some youth, and if that youth pans out, then, yeah, you don't have to buy as much. But I don't know. I haven't heard any rumors of anybody at left back to back up Cresswell in our academy. I do know Connor Coventry can play. He deserves an opportunity. I was glad to see him on the bench today. I think he could be a guy that covers Declan and Suchek. I really believe that. Um, center back wise, if you like the guys that you have, maybe you don't need them, but you're going to need another striker. Like that, that's without question. And strikers, look, an average striker, you're going to have to pay a premium price for. And yeah. that's just the reality. Um, Yes, we don't have Manchester City money, and we can't sit there and have, you know, Gabriel Jesus um, and Sergio Aguero and going to be bringing Eric Halland in this summer. Like, we can't have <laughs> – like, we don't have that shit. So we have to, you know, we have to be studious and smart about what our um, evaluations are on players, and we have to go find that kid – and I say kid, we have to go find that young player in the championship like a Jared Bowen, like a Benarama, 
that wants an opportunity at the prim that is hungry and ready. And you got to go get that guy and you got to develop him because well, you're, like, we're never going to be on on a guy like Helen. We're just not true. And, and I think, I mean, you, you make a lot of good points. Let's be honest. Cause it's, it, there is something to be said about overspending on one person, which we have done categorically in the past. I mean, GSB is notorious for doing this, but from, for me, the way that I'm looking at this is that, Moyes has gotten us to Champions League positioning, right? Like he's gotten us into the Champions League's positions on not a lot of expenditure, right? Like Jesse Lingard, uh, you know, in terms of the loan, it was only a couple million. You know, Suchek was like 20 mil. Ben Rama was, you know, what, 23, something like that. Sufal was five. Like these aren't high priced players. So I do think there is something to be said about Moyes being able to take a small budget and being able to run with it which is going to be critical for us, uh, you know, going into this next transfer window. And yes, strikers are going to be expensive, right? But there is still something to be said about bringing in a striker that is going to, if you miss out on Jesse Lingard, bringing in a striker that is going to give us that type of goal production. And tell me another striker that is able to score eight goals in nine games right now, off the top of your head. Even Jamie Vardy is not that striker right now. You know, Harry Kane is not that striker right now. So there is something to be said about knowing knowing the players that you have and allocating the funds necessary to be able to continue the traction that you've already built on so far this year. Um, you know, I, I would love if the rumors are true to go and pick up somebody like a Tammy Abraham, right? Like bring in some, there was like a Rochdale striker as well in the champion, uh, championship that we were looking at, you know, looking at that could also possibly uh, you know, be a backup for Antonio. Because for me right now, I think Antonio is still the main striker. I think his hold-up play is fantastic. Um, you know, I think just the more chemistry that he builds with people like Bowen and Lingard, uh, he's going to be even more lethal in front of goal. I mean, really, this is the first time, this is the first real season that he's been just an out-and-out striker. He hasn't really had to been deployed as a winger. So I think just as we build on that, it's going to be you know, even more, it's going to be even more impressive to see what, what he's able to do. Cause even for him, his goal production is fantastic. Um, but yeah, you, you are right. I mean, we, we need some, we need some, some other bodies to shore up defense, whether it comes from the Academy or whether we have to spend some money. I think Moise has been great about plucking up star players out of the championship that maybe other clubs aren't really paying attention to, um, knowing that they're the right piece to, to slot into this uh, puzzle. I also think, to be honest, we need a goalkeeper. I think Fabianski's been phenomenal. I think today he had another fantastic game. The two goals that went in, I don't think there was a whole lot he would have been able to do to stop them. And if anything, he did a lot to stop other potential goals uh, from going in, especially in that last like 10, 15 minutes when Leicester were just lumping in, you know, cross after cross after corner. Um, but like Nathan Trott, not really going to challenge for first position. Darren Randolph, same thing. Dude's injury prone. Even uh, David Martin. Uh, you know, I love him, but I don't think that he's ever really going to be a first team, uh, uh, first choice goalkeeper. So I think that's another position that we probably are going to have to look at this summer uh, just to make sure that we have the bodies to be ready to be able to challenge, not just in Champions League, but also to be able to hold our places in, you know, Carabao Cup and FA Cup. Like there's a lot of games out there that we're going to have to be able to play and we can't do it on the backs of just like Mark Noble. Like it's just not going to work. Well, there you have it. You know, I, I mean, uh, Liam, you're willing to pay $45 million for a player, um, and you're all in on it. I, I, I'm going to have to be honest. I think I, I'll say this. Like 
like I made some good points. I mean, you made some decent ones. Let's be honest. Um, I made some fantastic ones, you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, well, the way I look at this situation is it all depends on what you believe that you have in the academy and what you believe that can come out. Because if you like Connor Coventry and you're going to give him a run next year, at least on the bench, then, okay, maybe you don't need to go out and buy a holding midfield player that can cover Suchek and Rice in case one of them go down. If you have somebody at left back that you like, it all comes down. The amount you pay for Lingard is is directly related to what you have in the academy. And that's the fact. If we get, the rumor that I've heard is $80 million is what they're going to give him. That's the rumor that I've heard. If we get $80 million, and you spend over half of it on Lingard at forty-five million. That's tough. That's I mean, that means it's a good chunk. Yeah, that means that that player has to be there for you week in, week out. And that's what's that's what scares me about that situation because when you're Manchester City shelling out forty-five, fifty million for a player, it's okay because his backup was worth forty or forty-five million as well. <laughs> and so that that's the that's what I've always heard about. You know, when you, when people ask me, you know, why do you like West Ham United? And that's because West Ham United are a team that they have to do more with less than anybody. They're a massive club in the capital of England. Um, Their expectations by the fans are wild. Um, We always know that we West Ham United fans are probably the worst prisoners of the moment outside of the Gooners. You know, they're the only ones that are probably worse. (laughs) And the thing is, you know, West Ham United are always in their own eyes. They should, they feel that we should be considered a top six or top seven club, but we have not been able to sustain anything like that. So, and we don't get the budgets of those top six clubs. Even Tottenham, who's a penny pinching club, has more money every summer than West Ham United does every summer. So the way I look at it, is whatever that summer budget is and whatever you believe you have in the academy, you have to draw a hard line and say, this is what I will pay for Jesse Lingard. The only thing that could change that is Jesse Lingard wanting to stay in Claret and Blue. And if he wants to stay in Claret and Blue, then maybe that changes a lot of things for what we pay for him. Well, and the the only other, um, I think, trick to this, too, is trying to consider the fact that if we miss out on Jesse Lingard, right? Like, say we do say the cap is 30, 35 mil, and Chelsea comes in with 40. Arsenal comes in with 40. Leicester comes in with 40. Are you willing to give up a player like Jesse Lingard, knowing that now this is somebody we have to play against next season, and now these are goals and these are assists. As we said, eight goals, three assists in nine games. Multiply that times the 38 for a season. Is that the type of player you want to give to a rival that now is a rival that can knock you out of that top four to be able to continue Champions League season over season? I know I don't fucking want to do that. Oh, no, you're 100% right. But, you know, you have to be, you have to stand on a little bit of principle here and understand what is best for the club. You know, all right. As, as shitty as this is, here's my example. There is no Tottenham fan that wanted to give up Gareth Bell. None of them. You know, Gareth Bell, arguably the best player in the Prem in his first run with Tottenham. He was the best player in the Prem. Everybody knew it. 
everybody knew that the Spanish giants were going to come in. It was either going to be Barca or Real, and it was going to be a landmark offer. Obviously, it was Real Madrid, and it was 100 million pounds for one player at the time, the most expensive player ever ever sold um, before Paul Pogba broke that. But they paid 100 million or so, give or take 10 million, I can't remember the exact cost, to get Gareth Bale. Every Tottenham fan was sad. But what did they do with that money? They got that money in, they spread it out over the club, and now they've built a consistent top six challenger. And they're always up there now. And so it's the same concept, I feel, for West Ham United. If you're going to let Jesse walk, that's because Jesse doesn't want to be there. If Jesse wants to be in Claret and Blue, I think he'll let the manager and the higher-ups and the board know I want to play for West Ham United. Then at that point, the mentality shift changes. Now you do what it takes to keep a player because he wants to be there. But I think when this summer comes and Jesse returns to Manchester United, there is going to be a ton of clubs coming in for him. And it all comes down to what the player wants. If he wants to stay with us, yeah, go for him. But I don't think that you burn the budget on a guy and get into a bidding war with a team like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Chelsea. You don't get into a bidding war with those guys. You stand on a little bit of principle and you go, you know what, Jesse, we appreciate everything you did, um, but we're going to have to go find someone else because the reality of the situation is we do not have that kind of money and we have to live in that reality and it sucks. And I'm not saying I don't want to keep Jesse Lingard. If we sign Jesse on a permanent 3-year deal, I will be buying his kit. I'm telling you that. <laughs> I'm telling you that right now as a supporter, I will 100% be putting an 11 on my back with Lingard because I am I mean he is my favorite player to watch right now. He is so yeah. exciting to watch. But remember, I love the club more than I love any player. And so I don't want to see my club spend a bunch of money on one guy and then go out there in the Champions League and Jesse get hurt and our team fall apart. You have to right. build you have to build a squad. You don't build a player. If we had a full squad with no holes, then I say, yeah, you do whatever it takes to get Jesse Lingard. But we have holes and we have to acknowledge that. Yeah, and I do think we have to be prepared for other clubs coming in. Like, whether we like it or not, there's going to be a bidding war for Jesse Lingard. Like, hands down, it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to travel up to 30, 35, 40, uh, 40 million. Like, maybe it sits lower than that, but I'll be honest, like, unless we wrote in some sort of, like, first right or, like, right of first refusal in the loan contract, that's I think that'll be the only thing that saves us at this point. Yeah, and you know, look, Jesse's done a phenomenal job. Eight goals, nine games. West Ham United currently sitting in fourth, one point back of third, with two victories over the team that currently sits in third. Um, and Leicester, let's be honest, Leicester's gotten lucky this year. They've they've been so lucky. They've run into every team at the right time. But, you know, West Ham, I think, are a better team than Leicester, and they've proven that. So I think uh, it's going to be interesting. Now, looking down the list, let's shift gears here. We have seven games left, Liam. Seven. We have to really ask this question. Can we do it? Can West Ham United finish in the top four? We have seven games remaining, Liam. And this is what I want to say. The next two games, in my opinion, 
We do not match up well with either team, and it's going to be tough. And with our injury situation that we're going to be going into these next two games with, it's even scarier. The mountain even looks taller than it probably should be. But on Saturday, we play Newcastle. The following week, the next Saturday, the biggest match of the year. This might be the biggest match in West Ham's history since the the, the dawn of the Premier League. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it now. It's the biggest match in West Ham's history when we take on Chelsea at home, London Derby, and that game could be a deciding factor for who is a top four contender and who is not. Then when we move into the month of May, we have five games remaining. We get Burnley. We match up well with them. We get Everton. I don't care what anybody says. We match up well with them. We get Brighton. We match up well with them. We get West Brom. West Brom will cause problems because of the way Big Sam likes to play, but by that point, we should have a lot of our guys back. So I like our chances in that. And then we end the year with Southampton, who Southampton, as hot as they started this year, they have proven what they really are, and it's not that good. So if you look at it, Liam, in April, we get six points out of these next two games. Not only do I think we're in the top four, we're probably in third. And yeah. that is an incredible accomplishment from what this team started like in the beginning of the year. So here's my question to you, Lee. Can we do it? Do you think West Ham have enough in the squad, can get healthy quick enough to do what they've got to do, especially with our two toughest matches are the next two. Yeah, I think we still can. I mean, and it's not even, I think, I know we can. And I, it's it's one of those, maybe, same as you alluded to earlier, maybe we're being prisoners of the moment, but we we kept being told by pundits, by other f- supporters, even by our own supporters, that you know, without Declan Rice, we're, we're nothing. We're, we're, nobody's there. Oh, without Antonio up top. Oh, nothing. You know, we're, we're dead. Oh, without Igbana, we're, you know, we're dead in the water. So it was always like a, without this person, without this person, but then other people stepped up, other people stepped forward and we were able to get, uh, we were still able to get results. I mean, think about this last year. If we had been, we would never even gotten three up on Arsenal or three up on Wolves or three up on Leicester. Like that, those situations never would have occurred, let alone like, yeah, it sucks to give up those three goals and end up with a tie. That was the most fucking Spursy things I've ever seen us do. But, you know, in years past, we would have lost that Wolves game. We would have lost that Leicester game. But we came out with points like that's seven points out of three games that in years, years bygone, I would have said we would have been lucky to pick up one out of those three games. That's seven fucking points. That's huge. So I absolutely think we can pick up three points from every single one of those teams. I mean, yeah, maybe we get a draw here or there, right? I think with with Newcastle, that one's going to be tough. Uh, maybe there's a stigma from earlier in the season. And, you know, they looked good uh, earlier today when they played or yesterday when they played. I saw the highlights. But with Newcastle, there's a reason they're sitting down there battling their way out of relegation. They're just not that fucking good. Like, yeah, they've got a bunch of injuries, but they're just not that good of a team. Like, I think this is absolutely the type of situation where we pick up those three points, we leapfrog Leicester, you know, that puts us two points ahead, gives us a stretch away from Chelsea. The next week we play Chelsea at home and we fucking beat them too. And then that puts us an additional three points ahead of of Chelsea because ultimately that's a six-point spread. And all the other teams that you mentioned, right? Burnley, Everton, West Brom, Southampton. I don't fucking fear 
a single one of those teams at all. I think that the only reason I'm a little bit nervous about Everton is not because I don't think we can beat them, but I think that their remaining schedule doesn't look that difficult and they have like one or two games in hand. So there is the potential for them to also climb. Even if we beat them, there is still that potential that they could climb. Technically, Leicester has that ability as well. So does Chelsea. But we can't control those results. We can only control our own. And with seven games left, I'm saying 21 points, dude. Like, there's no fucking reason that we can't walk away three points in hand, even with the squad that we have right now. You put Jared Bowen and Jesse Lingard up top, I absolutely guarantee they can continue to put the ball in the back of the net and we'll be playing teams that don't have as lethal of a striker component or as controlled of a midfield and we won't capitulate the way that we have in the past. And on 21 points, we could fucking win the league. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, dude. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Man, oh God, I, I love it. I'm not the prisoner of the moment right now. It is clearly Liam. Oh Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to say this. We're no longer prisoner of the moments. We're now living in reality. So this whole prisoner of the moment thing, the moment is gone too long now. Now it's real. So this is not a moment anymore. Um, I, I look at this situation with West Ham United and this, this is the truth. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to remove my claret blue glasses. I'm going to tell you the truth. We're not going to have a good game against Newcastle. We have to accept that. Newcastle matches up well. They're, they played well today when they found a way to come back. They were down 1-0 to Burnley, and they found a way to come back and get two goals. They bring on St. Maximilian or whatever the hell his name Saint, is. Yeah, St. Maximilian. Yeah. yeah, and he He's comes on. And he, cha- he changed the game, and he looked incredible. And, of course, we're going to run into him when they're starting to play well. Um, and, you know, they need to get some points because – when you currently look at Newcastle, they're sitting all the way down in 17th. They do have a cushion over Fulham, but all it takes is a Newcastle loss and a Fulham win, and then now Fulham has got an opportunity because Fulham has a better goal differential than Newcastle does. So if Fulham can get within three points of Newcastle, then there it goes. So Newcastle is going to be fighting. They don't want to be in a relegation fight. They're trying to get safe. So they're going to be playing hard, and I'm, I'm worried about that game. However... Regardless of how that game goes, I even I'm I'm going to tell you now I wouldn't be shocked if we lose it, I would not. I'm hoping for a draw, but I wouldn't be shocked. After that, Liam, then we play Chelsea. This will decide everything, and I'm sorry to say we do not match up well with Chelsea. We do not. Chelsea beat us 3-0 earlier this year. What they like to do, um, they are dangerous. Now, in that game, if we have a Antonio that's 80% and that can play 70 minutes. I think we win the game because I think Mikel Antonio changes the whole dynamic of our attack. I honestly believe that in these last seven games, we will pick up and and I'm being honest here. We will pick up 16 points. That's what I believe. And if we get those 16 points, I think that will be enough for us to solidify a top four spot. Okay. That That's my opinion. I know that you're going, we're going to get 21, but I'm looking at it. After these next two games, we are the nightmare for the rest of those five games. We are the team that those other teams fear. Everton is not a good side. You know, uh, Dominique Calvert-Lewin, everybody talks about him, but the reality is he is what we thought he is. You know, yeah. he's... He is going to score eight goals a season. He 
that's the kind of player he is. He just got really lucky early this year and tacked on a few more. So he's going to be, he's in double digits this year. Congratulations. Every once in a while, um, every once in a while, my fat ass gets a skinny girl, but she doesn't last. (laughs) You know, skinny girl gets smart and she walks away. So it's going to happen. Um, But that's, that's my personal belief, Liam. Um, So I'm going to let you finish this off. I, I think we get a total, you said 21 points. I'm saying we're going to get 15, um, and in no way, shape, or form am I trying to be negative. Actually, no, I take it back. I think we get 16. That's what I think we get. We get 16 points. So of those 16 points that we get, I think it will be enough because I think that we will um, get the necessary draw against Chelsea that we will need in order to stay there because we're, we're the advantage. We don't have to win that game. We just have to get something out of it. So. Right. What is your final expectation of the top four? Here's what we'll do. I'm going to give you my top four, and you give me yours, okay? Okay, go ahead. I believe Manchester City will hang on and win the league. <laughs> they have a 11-point lead right now. Um, yeah. Yes, Manchester United have a game in hand, but I don't think that really matters. Um, I think Manchester United will solidify the second spot, and now here's where it changes. I think West Ham finished third. And mark it down. I think Liverpool finished fourth. Wow, that's a bold prediction, my friend. Very bold. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna mirror your top two. I do think that Man City holds on. Uh, I was reading an article the other day that uh, Man City's wage budget was like a hundred million pounds more than the New York Yankees. Like that's insane. Like if you're not able to win the league on that type of money, then you're a fucking failure. And anybody talking about like Pep Guardiola rivaling David Moyes as manager of the year, you're fucking insane. Of course you can be manager of the year when that much money is being spent. Moyes has done it by rubbing two fucking nickels together, hoping that they breed a third one. Like this is bullshit. So yeah, I think that Man City up top, I think Man United comes in at a very comfortable uh, second, I don't think that it. I don't think it'll be something where towards the end of the season we're waiting to the last game or two before we find out who the victor is. I would imagine by the end of April we'll know uh, who, who, who's 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 in the top there. Uh, after that, yeah, I actually do have us pegged as third place. Uh, I think that Leicester, the Leicester that we saw the first half of today, is probably the Leicester that most other teams will see for the remainder of the season. They might squeak out a win here or there, but I do not think that it's sustainable. Um, obviously, as we've seen us be able to catch up, um, I don't think Liverpool is consistent enough. I think that uh, your buddy-buddy ship with the uh, Fresno Reds is kind of tainting your uh, your eyes there a little bit. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually going to say that Chelsea holds on. I think that that Chelsea's Chelsea's run of schedule is very similar to ours. Uh, and I think where we pick up wins, I think that Chelsea will be able to pick up wins as well. Uh, unfortunately, I think their game against West Brom the other week where they lost 5-2, to two, uh, I think that was an anomaly. Uh, I was very much hoping that that was going to be indicative of the remainder of their season. But uh, I think Chelsea has a lot of quality and under... Uh, uh, Tuchel, I think that uh, um, Christian Pulisic has really been on fire. I mean, he had a brace uh, that last match. So I, I do think that Chelsea will be a very difficult game for us. So my top four will be Man City, Man United, us, and then Chelsea. Well, you're clearly wrong. I will never put a London team in the top four if I can avoid it. <laughs> so that is no way. Uh, two, two, two Manchester teams, two London teams. It has perfect symmetry. <laughs> oh man. Uh, all, all the, uh, all the OCD is coming out from Liam right now. All the OCD. 
Oh, 100%. Uh, Plus, fuck Liverpool. Man. Fuck oh, the Beatles. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. But the reality of the situation is Liverpool are starting to run. I think they've got three or four wins in a row. Um, and they're starting to get consistent, which is what you're you're criticizing them for on the lack of. And I think that they're going to be there. All right. It's time. Uh, we're going into our match preview. Um, obviously it's a massive, massive game for West Ham United. They all are from this point on, um, Newcastle could be looked at as a little bit of a trap match. And what we mean by that is that, you know, our guys could be looking forward to that Chelsea match and not focusing on this Newcastle game, which I think is very, very dangerous for us. And I am concerned about it, especially with the mentality the team has played with in the second half. If we don't get our customary three goal lead, um, then when we give up those two second half goals that we are could end up in a draw, which wouldn't be the worst thing for West Ham. But in, when you're chasing the top four, these are games you have to win a team that is sitting in 17th. When you're sitting in fourth, that should be a no contest. You should do a workman like two nil performance is what we're hoping for here. But, uh, this, this game is going to be big. West Ham are going to be down some guys, um, possibilities after today's match. Um, we don't know the status of Aaron Cresswell, and we don't know the status of Mark Noble. Um, if both of those guys are down, you're looking at possibly seeing Connor Coventry get a start. I mean, that is a that's a real possibility coming on. And then the left back situation, who knows what David Moyes is going to do? Um, I would assume he would go immediately to a back three with two wing backs and uh, just condense that formation to get five across the back when Newcastle attacks and pack out the midfield and try to control the game. But really, this game is going to come down to squad depth for West Ham United and what they can put on the field and what they can do with the limited resources that they're going to have. And that's what makes this game very important. So, Liam, I'm going to let you start it off. Give me your score prediction and your goal scorers. Okay, so I'm actually going to give you my lineup as well. So, obviously, I've got Fabianski in goal. I'm actually going to go with a back four with uh, Sufal, Dawson, Diop, and Ben Johnson over in that left-back position because I think even if Aaron Cresswell is ready, I'd rather give him the rest and allow him to be 100% for Chelsea because we're absolutely going to need uh, his distribution in the box. Uh, my middle four, because I'm going with a 4-4-2, is actually going to be Ryan Fredericks, Mark Noble, because I think the injury that he sustained was to his hand. So I think they just wrap it up and he'll be ready to rock and roll. Uh, obviously, partnered with him will be Suchek. And then I'll actually put Fornals over on that other side. So that way he can kind of give some defensive uh, ability to back up Ben Johnson there. And then I'm actually going to run run it either as Bone and Lingard side by side or similar to what we saw today. It was like a 1-1, like a 4-4-1-1 with Lingard as the false nine and Bowen up top as the striker. Um, I'm going to actually go with goals from Bone and Lingard. I think that one, Jesse Lingard's a man on fire, and I would love to see him do nine goals in 10 games. Uh, and then I think that Bowen partners up with him, and he'll actually scrape out that other one, uh, as we've seen him have a bit of a uptick in his run of form recently. Uh, but I think man of the match, absolutely, uh, for me, is actually going to go to Thomas Suchek, because I think that he'll be the main man uh, that is breaking up plays, uh, that is kind of organizing that midfield, and really allowing us to to stay compact and allow us to uh, break forward when needed. But what about for you, man? What's your uh what's your shout all right so starting lineup wise and forgive me for uh forgetting that part um but starting lineup wise i i disagree with you on the formation i don't think we're going to play 4-4-2 i think he's going to play a 3-5-2-1 
Um, and I think uh, up front on his own will be Jared Bowen again. I think Jared Bowen has done a really good job in a game and a half leading the line, and I think that he will continue to do that. He's a different kind of striker to Antonio, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. I think um, across the back, I think we're going to see, depending on the injury situation, um, if ever, all these guys are healthy, I think we see Diop, Craig Dawson, and Balbuena across the back. Um, I think the wingbacks are going to be uh, Vladimir Sufal will remain on the right side, but he'll be pushed forward in a wingback situation. And on the left side, if Cresswell is down, I do believe it is Ben Johnson. I think that's the preferred choice um, for uh, for him. And then so that gives us that five across the back when the when we get condensed. The two guys or the three guys in the middle sitting. I think you're going to see this is, and I'm not saying this because I love the player, but I think you're going to definitely see Suchek. You're going to see, uh, I think Connor Coventry is going to get started if Noble's down, but if Noble can go, it's Noble and Suchek. I would put Coventry in for Noble if he's down. And then that other guy, I'm really struggling, but I'm curious. I'm really curious if he'll put Fornals that deep. I'm curious if he will. I don't think he will. But if he does it, if he puts Fornells back there, um, then I think it's Lingard and Benarama and Bowen up front. That's what I believe. But I, well, that would I, give you two. That would give you too many, though. Yeah, because we're playing. Got, with, th- but we get to play with twelve this week, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about <laughs> this. The one. It's the one yeah. week we get to the extra yeah. body. But I, 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 I actually I like that shout because if you do have Johnson on one side. Um, and who who is your and Sufal is the wing back on the other? Yeah, you could have either Noble or Co- Connor Coventry partnered with Suchek, and then you play four nals kind of in front of the the double pivot, yes. and then that would allow you to splay out Bowen and Lingard. So there's so it's almost like a like a three, what would it be a three four one two. I kind of like that. Uh, that that's yeah. like, that that wouldn't be bad because it would allow us to do a little bit more in the attack and then shore up that defense when needed. Because same Maximan obviously is going to come on in that second half as like a game changer. I I think he's going to get the start, <laughs> and oh. I think I think he's going to go at us all game. Um, I think he he made a point to his manager today, uh, Steve Bruce, and I think he is going for it. So, yeah. um, I I look at the situation. This here here's my point. We don't match up well with them. Um, I think no matter what formation we play, they're going to provide problems. They always do. Um, John Joe Shelby, you know whether he plays or not. I know there's some question marks on him. Um, if he plays, I'm 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 nervous. But <laughs> I I honestly think this is what I'm going to tell you. I, I'm going to go a one nil workman like performance, and the goal comes off a set piece off Thomas Suchek's head. And, nice. And I think Suchek, when you have these type of games for West Ham United, you have to count on the guys that are willing to do the dirty work, and that is Thomas Suchek. He will get on the ground, he will fight, he will scratch, he will claw, and I think that he gets the goal. But my man of the match in this game um, will be, I, I firmly believe this, it's going to be Lucas Fabianski. Because I, nice. I think we're going to have to count on Fabianski um, to really make sure that defense is organized in the back, really make sure. And he's going to have to make a few saves if we're going to win this game. He's going to have to make a few saves because without Ogbonna back there to really be that that solid figure to really organize things, it's going to be on Lucas. 
And I really uh, think that that's how this match is going to go. So I got a, I got a one nil victory for West Ham United over Newcastle, but would not be shocked if we end up in a draw or even a loss just because of how we match up with them. So that's, that's my prediction. Oh, nice. Crazy. Right. Yeah, just, I'm, I'm with you. I are you sure we it. don't get to play with 12? I'm almost positive that I, I, I because we, like we played with Mike Dean today, so therefore we get a 12th player, right? Oh, yeah, and his buddy was the one on the VAR check too, which I was super surprised. I kept waiting for like the shit to hit the fan, especially after he handed uh, Suchek a yellow card like in the first fucking like seven minutes. I was like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Oh, Mike Dean. Um, okay, so it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show. It is time for your yellow and red card. Liam, hit me with your yellow card right now. Uh, I'm going to do yellow card to the rest of the league because the rest of the Premier League keeps thinking that West Ham is going to trip, that West Ham is is just getting lucky week in, week out. Motherfuckers, how many weeks in are we? This is, what, 31 weeks in, 31 matches in? Like, this is West Ham. Whether Antonio's up top, whether Declan Rice is in the midfield, like... This West Ham is so much more than one, two, three, four players. Like, this is an entire team. This is entire mentality. Moyes has these guys fighting tooth and nail, match in, match out, and you should fucking fear us. That is my putting the rest of the league on notice for yellow card. How about for you? Well, you are right. We are fucking massive right now. Um, (laughs) I'm going to tell you, our yellow card goes to you and me, Liam. We've done such a shitty job of getting this podcast going. And I promise you guys in two weeks time, we will be very consistent. I've just got to really get my schedule together. It's trust me, guys. I'll admit the truth. It's me. It's not Liam. So uh, it's both of us. It's both of us. (laughs) So we've got to do a better job there. Um, But overall, I'm telling you, uh, we, we get, we're getting caution right now. And if Mike Dean was here, it might be a red card on you and I, you know, he might probably for aggressive conduct. So it probably would, but it would get overturned in a couple days and we'd be back in action. So it would be all right. All right. Hit me with your red card. All right. Red card is going to go to the fucking squad depth. Oh my God. Why? Why is it that we are literally plucking people off the street to be able to make a match day 18? Like this is insane. Why do we have two goalkeepers on the bench? We don't fucking need that many goalkeepers on the bench. Oh, that's right. Because we have nobody else that's healthy. Like Lanzini wasn't even on the bench, dude. Lanzini, not even on the bench. What the hell is happening? So, uh, yeah, that squad depth is is raising my blood pressure and this whole giving up goals in the second half. Uh, I'm gonna lose all my fucking hair. Like this is it's it's not it's not healthy. I am more worried about West Ham getting three goals in a first half than I am about getting COVID at this point. Like this is this is no bueno, no bueno. West Ham. What about you? It's uh it's very um simple. My red card goes to fucking David Moyes. Do a better job on your fucking team talk when you're going in with a three-goal lead or a two-goal lead at halftime. I am sick and tired of watching this team come out and not play the way they did in the first half. They deserve better than that, and you are the reason that they're going to have to be that way. And so I just don't understand your fucking motivational tactics, and I need to see you challenge this team to continue to attack 
we do not have the defensive resources, David, in order to maintain a lead. So instead of conceding two goals in a 20-minute stretch, how about we concede no goals in a 45-minute stretch in the second half? That's what I love to see. And David, by the way, I do apologize. You are a fucking brilliant man. You are massive. (laughs) I was so wrong about you. And I'm only saying this because every time I give you a red card, our form tends to say pretty good. So that's the only reason. You know what's funny? I feel like every time I I go on uh, uh, Fan Zone, on Premier League Fan Zone, they always ask me, like, what do you think? David Moyes, manager of the year? And I'm like, fucking, yeah, of course. I'm like, I don't even know why you're asking this as though it's a question. Like, you just, it should be a statement at this point. Just, hey, we're in agreements that David Moyes is manager of the year. And I will go, yes, we are in an accord. And then we move on from there. Like, they keep asking it, like, what do you think? I'm like, what the fuck do you think? One, I'm a West Ham fan, so of course I'm going to say yes. And then two, are you even watching the fucking matches? Like, come on, dudes, get it together. Uh, Fun fact, uh, don't know why, but Premier League Fan Zone, which is a show that airs over in London, um, you can catch it on Peacock app. Um, if you have that, so this is a free plug for you guys over at Premier League Fan Zone. Uh, the Fresno Irons are becoming pretty famous with that uh, organization right now. Three of us on, three that, of us on now. Yeah, our our boy Franco. If you've ever been to one of our matches, Franco has the most beautiful beard in the world. Um, obviously, Liam has been on a handful of times along with myself. Um, so uh, it is in a. It's interesting. Um, a Fresno Irons takeover of Premier League Fan Zone could be in the works. Oh, I love it. In the works. Um, uh, obviously this is the part of the show where we want to get real with you for a minute. All jokes aside, um, before we wrap up here, um, this is something that's near and dear to the Fresno Irons hearts. If you're ever feeling that you have nowhere to turn, nowhere to go, and you're having thoughts of possibly making a decision that you cannot come back from because it is a decision that you will uh, never live to regret. Um, please make sure that you, uh, give the national suicide prevention hotline a call. That number is one 800 Two seven three eight two five five. Again, that number is one eight hundred two seven three eighty two fifty five. This is something we want you to know that somebody is always there to listen. Somebody's always there to help you through those times. And if you're listening to this podcast right now, you can reach out to the Fresno Irons on all social media platforms at at Fresno Irons. We are most active on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So please uh, reach out to us. Um, want you to know that if you're listening to this, you're a part of our family and we love and want you to know that there is always someone here to listen. Uh, Liam, if they're listening overseas, tell them how to get in contact. Sure. So you can reach out to the Samaritans at 116-123. And same thing, like even if you are overseas and you need just somebody to talk to and it's, you know, somebody that maybe you want to vent when it comes to West Ham, uh, by all means, reach out to us, obviously at Fresno Irons. You can also hit up the show at A-H-R-W-H-U. That's on Twitter and Instagram. So guys, uh, it's a big one. Uh, Newcastle this Saturday. It's going to be an early one for us, Liam. 4.30 a.m. Uh, the Fresno Why? Irons. <laughs> it's uh, everybody always complains, but it's always fun. Uh, it's going to be four thirty a.m. out here in Fresno, California, and believe it, the Fresno Irons make no excuses. We will be up. We will be at Pine and Palm Brewing Company. Um, if you find yourself in the Central Valley and you're up late at night and you're like, "What the fuck do you do in Fresno?" Come on down to. Uh, to uh, Pine and Palm Brewing at 4.30 a.m. We cannot serve any alcohol until 6 a.m. So hopefully uh, it'll be it'll be happy pints at that time when we can start <laughs> serving them. Um, but come see uh, Newcastle, West Ham, 
4.30 a.m., Pine and Palm Brewing Company um, here in Fresno, California. I want to say thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to Tim and Lee, um, the founders of the American Hammers Network, and providing us this opportunity to share our love for West Ham United and our thoughts, even though we all know that Liam's the brains here. I'm the idiot. But uh, we just want you to know that uh, the Bearded Bastards do appreciate you listening. Um, If you ever want to get in touch with the show, obviously reach out again. The Twitter handle is A-H-R-W-H-U. Obviously, if you want to get on the show, well, if we like you, we'll think about it. Otherwise, no, fuck (laughs) off. I'm just kidding. Uh, We're we're all inclusive here. Would love to hear from you guys, uh, all nine of you that listen to us every week. So thank you so much uh, for Liam. This is Tex um, saying, come on, West Ham United. And as always, come come on, on, you you irons. irons.